Please take your Bibles and turn over to John 8, 37 to 47. Last Sunday, we, we looked at Jesus' teachings about spiritual slavery and how to be set free. We learned that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. But Jesus, the Son of God, came to set us free through His life, death, burial, and resurrection, through the gospel. Those who believe in the Son shall be set free by the Son, and they shall be free indeed. That was verse 36. Now the Jews who allegedly believed in Jesus moments earlier were actually offended by His words and they became defensive. As descendants of Abraham, they did not see themselves as sinners or spiritual slaves who needed to be set free. They saw themselves as chosen people, as blessed, as free, and not under the yoke of slavery or sin, the sin of slavery or any of that kind of stuff. They thought they were perfectly fine. And in the next section, Jesus refutes them by exposing their true identity. He works to reveal who they really are. You see, they think that they are descendants of Abraham. And there's some truth to that, but it's not holistic. And so Jesus in the next section works to reveal to them who they actually are. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. I've got four things for you. Number one, a different reality. That's 37 and 40 or through 40. Number two, a dishonest reply. That's 41 through 43. A demonic relationship, verse 44. And a disturbing report, that's 45 through 47, the rest of the text. So that's what we're going to be looking at today, those four Ds. Let's begin with number one. You ready? Ready to take some notes? A different reality, 37 through, uh, actually I think I'm going to take it all the way up through 41A instead of 40. And I'll read it to you first. This is Jesus speaking to them and re replying and responding to their critique of his teaching and their resistance to what he's saying, their denial of their own sinfulness. He says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. He says in 38, I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. In 39, they replied, or they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if, a, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. In other words, you would be like him. Verse 40, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. And he says, this is not what Abraham did. And then 41a, you are doing the works your father did. So Jesus begins this refutation by acknowledging their descendancy from Abraham. He doesn't deny it. He begins by acknowledging, yes, I know that you are from him. But I want you to notice the word that he uses. What word does he use there? In the ESV, he refers to them as offspring, right? We see that in 37. But then down in verse 39, he says, if you were Abraham's children. So according to Jesus, there are basically within this text, and probably biblically speaking, there are two types of descendants. 
there are offspring and there are children. Offspring are those who come through a person's physical lineage or line. It refers to physical descendancy. The Jews that Jesus was speaking to were physical descendants or offspring of Abraham, similar to how all people are physical descendants or offspring of Adam and Eve. So it's a general term referring to descendancy, but in the physical form. It doesn't have a spiritual connotation or anything. It just has to do with, yes, I agree, you came through his lineage, his line, physically. Okay? Children, however, are those who come through a person's spiritual lineage or line. There's a difference between them. Children are different from offspring. They actually follow in their ancestors or father's spiritual footsteps. They believe God as he believed God. They obey God as their forefathers or forefather obeyed God. So think of it like this in this context. Offspring come through the physical line while children come through both the physical and spiritual line. Okay, so there's a distinction. One simply refers, offspring simply refers to physical lineage only, but children refers to both with a high emphasis on the spiritual aspect of it. Now, Abraham, if you know anything about him, uh, and some of us do and some of us don't, and that's okay, but he was a real man of faith. He was a man who obeyed God. I mean, we see this is illustrated or talked about in Romans 4.16, Galatians 3, 6 through 9, you know, Hebrews 11, 8 through 19, in James 2.21 to 24. All of these New Testament passages, they uh, authenticate or tell us about how he was a godly man, a man of faith who obeyed God. And of course, if you read in Genesis where, you know, his life and uh, ministry and faith is illustrated, you'll see it there. In fact, in Genesis 26, verse 5, God actually summarized the life of Abraham, and he said this. This is what God said of Abraham. Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So that's Abraham in a nutshell. He was a man of faith. He was a man of obedient faith. He was a good godly man, if you want to call him that. And Jesus here at this point, because they're claiming to come from Abraham, Jesus basically tells the Jews that they are only physical offspring of Abraham. They are only physical descendants. They are only offspring. Why? Because they do not believe and obey the gospel. There's the difference. By rejecting Jesus, who is God, the Jews acted in a way that is contrary to Abraham. And this proves that they were nothing more than just physical offspring. True children of Abraham will be like Abraham in that they will exhibit faith and obedience. The Apostle Paul talks about this in great detail in Romans chapter 9. He literally lays this subject out in all of chapter 9. Now Jesus takes it further though. If the Jews were actual children of Abraham, they would be doing, as Jesus says and illustrates here, the works Abraham did. 
Man, if you were like him, your father, you allege to be of him and he's your father, if you were like him, you'd be doing the works he did. Now, works are not things to try to merit salvation or earn their, you know, Abraham wasn't trying to earn his salvation or earn his way with God. doesn't have anything to do with that. Works refers to acts of obedience that spring forth from faith. Faith causes and leads to good works, to good deeds. If you're a person of real, saving faith, you're going to be a person who does good deeds. You're going to be a person who obeys God, who has acts of obedience and things. It doesn't mean you're perfect. Faith always produces acts of obedience or good deeds. James 2.17 says, faith without works is dead faith. Now what works or deed, now think about this. Think about what's going on here in the context. What works or deed were the Jews seeking to perform according to the text? Murder. <laughs> Murder. Verses 37 and 40. What did Jesus say? You seek to kill me. That's not a good deed. Jesus basically tells them point blank, this is not what Abraham did. You are seeking to do what your true father did and does. Now, who did Jesus have in mind here when he's talking about their actual father or who I call their true father? We'll get to that in a moment. These Jews, bottom line, these Jews behaved in a way that is contradictory to Abraham and simultaneously believed that God was somehow pleased with them, that they were actually descendants of Abraham, that they were similar, if not just like him. But in reality, they were living in a different reality, right? An alternative reality, a false reality. Murder or even hateful thoughts violate God's law. Exodus 20, verse 13, Matthew 22. What did Jesus say about thou shall not kill? He said, if you even have hatred in your heart against your brother, you've basically murdered him. You've broken that commandment. So these men... They were living in a different reality. They were harboring hatred toward Jesus and wanting to kill him and yet somehow saying, we came from Abraham? Abraham didn't go around killing people or even planning to do it. Now, he was a mighty warrior and led a force and they had to, you know, do some things back then. It was all ordained by God, but he didn't plan. He certainly wouldn't have attempted to kill God, which is precisely what these men are wanting to do. Another thing, right, so you've got them wanting to murder, so they're already violating the commandments, at least one of them. And also, it is totally impossible to please God apart from faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 11.6. So, these guys were the antithesis of Abraham. They did not have faith. They had murderous, hateful thoughts. Uh, it just, it's unreal. Now let's look at, at their response to Jesus' correction. You would think by this point or at this point they'd be devastated. Oh no, no way. Too much religious pride here. Number two, a dishonest reply. Now we look at 41b through 43. They said to Jesus, and this is, this is insane. We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And then Jesus 
continues to admonish them. He says to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear my word. So the Jews continue to defend their descendancy from Abraham. And and in their minds, they were what I would call pure Jews. Because they had come directly from Abraham's lineage, unlike many others in the community who were of mixed descent. They believed that those who came through intermarriage, who were basically part Jewish and part something else, Samaritan or whatever, they believed that those who were intermingled and only partly Jewish were basically born of sexual immorality, or as other translations put it, maybe the NASB puts it this way, fornication. Now listen to what J.C. Ryle Ryle paraphrased here, or what he said about this statement. He said, this is what they're, this is essentially what they're saying, and this is his paraphrase of their statement. Pardon me. He says, we are not born of fornication. We are not heathens and idolaters, at any rate, even if we're not as good as Abraham. So, What they're basically saying here is that we did not come through intermarriage. We did not come through fornication in the physical sense. But here's here's where they're wrong and here's where they're dishonest in their reply. They may not have been from or the product of intermarriage or intermingling or any of that. They may have been purely Jewish and had no Samaritan blood or anything like that. They may not have been the product of physical fornication, but they were fornicators in the spiritual sense. They were total fornicators. Idolatry, the worship of idols, is spiritual fornication. It is spiritual adultery. In other words, it is cheating on God. When when a person gives their heart over to an idol, God is the one and the only rightful person their heart should go to. And so it's a spiritual, it's an act of spiritual adultery or cheating on God. When we give ourselves over to false gods or anything else, you are basically cheating on God. Now the entire world is doing this, but they were guilty of this big time. They may not have been fornicators, right, in the physical sense or in their descendancy, but they were great fornicators in their idolatry. They cheated on God spiritually all the time, big time. They worshipped so many idols, the biggest idol of all they worshipped was themselves. They were always exalting themselves and boasting about each other. They worshipped each other. Well, well, Bill, you look great today. I love your phylactery and wow, you're just so religious. I mean, this is how these guys were. They literally worshipped each other. They even turned Moses the law, the Sabbath, and the temple into idols they worshipped. Their fornications, their adulteries, their sins against God were so numerous, Jesus didn't have time to list all of them. Go back down to verse 26. I have much more to say about you, but I really don't have time for it. These guys replied in a dishonest manner. Well, we're not fornicators. We come directly from Abraham, but they were committing spiritual fornication every time their lips moved, every time they went from point A to point B. They were grand idolaters. They were just terrible. And and I would think that at this point they would have been convicted a bit 
by Jesus' correction, but, I mean, they basically knew they were nothing like Abraham. You know? Sometimes where things are presented to us that are a reality and, you know, we deny it, but then sometimes it's just, well, you're right, but I'm not going to own it, but you're right. You ever done that, you know? Well, yeah, I'm not going to do anything. Yeah, you're right. Uh Uh-huh, yeah, I'm not going to do anything about it. I think that's what they were doing here. I think they were convicted. They were nothing like Abraham. They were the opposite of him. But instead of repenting, they just replied in a dishonest way. They gave a dishonest reply. I like what MacArthur does with this text. This is where it gets crazy. He puts a whole different spin on 41b. He suggests that the Jews were referring to the controversy surrounding Jesus' birth. He wrote, The Jews knew the story about Mary's betrothal and that Joseph was not Jesus' real father. Thus, they implied that Jesus' birth was illegitimate. It's kind of an interesting way to look at it. In other words, the Jews may have been suggesting that Jesus was the result of fornication. What is fornication? In a physical sense, it's sex outside of marriage. They might have been saying, hey, at least we weren't born of sexual immorality like you. Why? Because they had heard about Mary's premarital pregnancy, right? She actually wasn't married. She was betrothed, but she wasn't married when she was, became pregnant. Back in this culture, you were killed for that, baby and all. The Jews might have been focusing on those aspects of Jesus' mysterious birth and saying, hey, you're one to talk. You were born of sex outside of wedlock. You should be killed, and so should your mama. Who knows what they were thinking? Now, this line of thinking in regards to Jesus' mysterious birth, it just it's continued through the centuries. Back in 2015, an, an Anglican priest and reporter. How are you a priest and a reporter? Huh, pick one or the other. This guy should pick neither. This jabroni should pick neither because he was terrible. In 2015, an Anglican priest and reporter called Mary a teen fornicator and Jesus a bastard child. An Anglican priest. Aren't you supposed to be on our team? Anglican priest? Now here's the deal. As Christians, we believe that what the Scriptures clearly teach about Jesus' birth, not what Pharisees not what fake Anglicans say about it. Amen? He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, was born of a virgin, Matthew 1.18 and 23, period. We don't go any further than that with it. That's reality. That's what the Scripture teaches about it. Now, Jesus basically annihilated their claim about being Abraham's children. So the Jews attempt to take their argument even higher. At the end of 41b, they basically said, fine, God is our father. Oh, so you've got us on Abraham. We'll just go right to the top. This is when the kid goes, infinity, in an argument, right? You know, you're going back and forth, infinity. And then he's completely shut his opponent down. That's what they're doing here, right? Well, fine. You've got us on the Abraham thing, but God is our Father. Wow, how blasphemous and insulting toward God. Jesus replies, paraphrase, If God were your Father, you would love me because you understand who I am and why I came. 
one of the, I would say probably the, the, the most defining mark of a true disciple is love of and for Jesus. That's, that is like, right? If you just analyze somebody's life, it's all over the place. Look, if you watch mine, if there was a camera on me all the time, I'd be so embarrassed. Right? I, I, I try to walk the walk and all that, but I fail miserably. But the one thing you're not going to catch me on is not loving Jesus. That is the defining mark on a real believer. Does that person truly love Jesus? Now, of course, that love is made manifest or expressed in a number of ways. You can't just say, I love Jesus, and then live for the world. That's hypocrisy. But I, I, wouldn't you all agree that maybe the defining mark of a true believer right off the bat would be love of Jesus? This is essentially what Jesus says here. If God is your father, you would love me. And what were they trying to do? Kill him. I guess that's a loving expression. I don't know. Maybe in their book. If God were your father, you would love me because you understand who I am and why I came. That's what Jesus says here. Jesus was not denying God's universal or covenantal or national fathership toward these men, toward the Jewish people, toward Israel. He wasn't rejecting any of that. He had something else in mind here. So the rule in the previous section in 37 through 41a applies here. Same rule. To be a true child of Abraham, you had to be like Abraham. By what? Believing and obeying God's word. To be a true child of God, you have to be like God. Think about it. If you've been born of God through the Holy Spirit, are you going to be like God? Yeah, you're not going to walk around slinging lightning bolts at people. You certainly try to at times, but I don't even know if he does that. I don't even know where that came from. What I mean is that kind of power. You're not going to have his power. You're not going to have his godness, but you'll represent and be like him in his character. So the same rule applies there. If you were of Abraham, you would be like him. If you were of God, you would be like him. In what way? You'd love me, his son. This is what Jesus is teaching them. Does God love His Son? Yeah, what did He say in Matthew 3.17 at His baptism? This is my Son in whom I love. Man, if we're from God, if we're of God, then we love His Son as the Father loves the Son. People say they're of God all the time. They hate Jesus. You're not of God. You're of a lower G God, a false God. You have to love His Son. And how do we express our love for Him? What is the fruit of this love? What comes forth from love for Him? What? Believing Jesus? Obeying Jesus? Love is a verb. It's active. You say you love this person and you never express it? You don't love them? Love is expressed through physical action, through Kind words, there's a zillion ways to express it. And when we say we love Jesus, we prove that we love Him by believing in who He is and what He said about Himself. We believe His word. We, we obey Him. That's how we express that. And Think about with your spouse, if you're married, you say you love your wife, but you never express it. Your wife's going to think, I don't think he loves me. Or he's got a weird way of showing it. I've heard that one a couple times. Right? How can you be from God and hate 
his son. That's Jesus' point. They hated Jesus and wanted to kill him. But God's our father. Well, you've got a father. It's not my father. That's what Jesus is saying. By wanting to kill him, they acted in a way that is contrary to God and thus proved that they were nothing more than offspring, even from God. Because we don't want to deny the universal fatherhood or fathership of God toward all people. God created people and people come through people, so God is in a universal sense the father of all people. But he's His children are those who believe in Him, whom have been born of Him. Everyone else is just offspring. The same rule applies with Abraham. You're not a a child of Abraham unless you are like Abraham. You're not a child of God unless you're like Him. You're nothing more than offspring. The true children of God are those who have been born of God by the Holy Spirit, right? We call that regeneration. And who love, believe, and obey His Son, Jesus Christ. That's how you know. All others are offspring. Now let's look at Jesus' response to the Jews' absurd claim. Oh, God's our Father. Try to take it to the top and make yourself look even stupider. Number three, and here's where Jesus is just like, you know, if there was, if you ever seen Spinal Tap where their amp had 11 on it, this is where he cranks it to 11. Jesus just, woof, he just amplifies it on them. Now he's going to tell them who their real father is. Number three, a demonic relationship, verse 44. And this is the longest verse here. It's almost a paragraph. Look what he says there in your Bible. You are of your father, Abraham. No, God, no, the devil. And you're, I know, right? What, I mean, talk about a sting. You are of your father. We know we are the devil. That's not what we had in mind, Jesus. You are of your father, the devil. And listen to what he says. Your will is to do your father's desires. And then he starts to describe their father. He was a murderer from the beginning. It does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. This is an incredible rebuke. Must have just got them so much more angry with Jesus. I mean, he just straight up tells the Jews their father is the devil. And as I said, he describes the devil as what? A murderer from the beginning? Now, he was likely referring to the time when the devil entered the Garden of Eden as a serpent and murdered Adam and Eve spiritually by getting them to eat the forbidden fruit. We tend to discount um, or to really put the emphasis and negative focus on Adam and Eve for what they did. But do you know how the scripture describes what happened to them in that moment? They were deceived. They weren't just sitting down there in in paradise waiting to commit a sin. I can't wait. The first chance we get, Adam, what do you think? Oh, yeah, baby, we're going to go for it. (laughs) Notice how I put the woman first. Women are like, I don't like him. He's wrong. 
think about it. They weren't, they weren't created with some kind of a pull or disposition for sin. They had no attitude for it, no taste for it. They knew nothing about it. It was completely foreign to them. They were perfect. Some say, well, they were created with, a, you know, with free will, and, and in that free will there was a desire to sin. No, there wasn't. These two people were duped. These two people were sold, uh, you know, bad goods. I don't want to completely remove their, you know, their culpability in the situation, but you need to understand what the devil did to them in this moment. He deceived them. I think that he went over and plucked a piece of fruit. I don't even know what it was. We always see it as an apple or something. I think he plucked it off and shined it up and was throwing it up and say, this is the best fruit you'll ever taste. I think he did everything he could to market it to them. He might have even went, see, it's not going to kill you. We don't know how it went down. And they weren't certainly like, yo, bro, I could really use an apple right now. They weren't spicoli. They weren't stoned. They weren't just like, wow, that looks really good. I wonder if God's going to create Cheetos, you know. They were, they were perfected. They had wisdom. They had knowledge. They, they were just, they'd been created. They were awesome. And he marketed that thing in such a way. He finagled them and deceived them into believing something that wasn't true. They didn't even know how to stand against temptation. They had a clear warning from God. I guess it's okay to be hard on them, but let's, I would rather shift my animosity and hatred onto that wicked piece of garbage serpent that deceived them than two people. He deceived them. And he did it pretty easily. And I think that the reference here is to the time where he deceived them and got them into thinking something good would come through something that was forbidden. And then when they sinned, they died spiritually. So in a sense... The devil is the very first murderer in that he murdered them spiritually. He killed their souls. He did. And, and everyone has been murdered spiritually ever since. He not only killed them spiritually, he's killed the entire human race. Think about that. He is the original murderer. He kills people spiritually. He has killed us all spiritually. He really has. Or Jesus could have been referring to the very first homicide, and the devil was certainly behind it. What was the very first literal physical homicide murder? Cain, what did he do? He had a righteous brother. He picked up a stone and bludgeoned him to death, beat him over the head till he wasn't breathing. Satan was definitely behind that. Could be that Jesus is referring to that first physical act, not first spiritual, but first physical act of murder with a stone to the head. And my question is, why isn't anyone today pushing for rock control? <laughs> Rocks are lethal. I mean, we used to have dirt clod fights, and once in a while we'd come home with a big shiner, and that was just dirt. Why isn't anyone pushing for rock control? They want to take my AR, take my rocks. <laughs> By seeking to kill Jesus, the Jews were 
acting just like their murderous father, the devil, right? Jesus also calls the devil a liar and the father of lies. You see, the devil knows the truth. Right? We see that in, I think, James 2.19. He knows the truth. He knows the gospel. He knows scripture, probably better than you and I. But he doesn't live according to it. He doesn't obey it. He doesn't love it. He basically acts like all his progeny in the, throughout the world. I mean, do people, in a general sense, love the word of God and scripture? No, they hate it. He is the father of that. He, he, he knows the truth, but he doesn't live according to it. What does he do? He lives according to his truth. He's got his own personal truth, right? You ever heard somebody say that? Well, I've got my truth, and you've got your truth, and you've got your truth, and we all got our own truths. Truth, 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 truth. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. And guess what? Unless your truth is the truth, you got to lie. When Oprah says on national television that speaking your truth is the most powerful thing out there, she is plagiarizing the devil. As far as I'm concerned, she is a devil. I like what Ben Shapiro said. He's a Jewish guy. In response to Oprah when she said that on the Golden Globes, he tweeted, There is no such thing as your truth. There is truth and your opinion. He's stupid. He's smarter than you. Now, the devil is the father of lies in that he is the first being in all creation to lie. Does anyone know when he first lied? Immediately, you're going to Genesis 3, right, where he deceived Adam and Eve. That's not where he told his first lie. He told his first lie well before that. He told his very first lie in heaven when he said that he would be highly exalted like God. Didn't he? I will be like him. Who's with me? One third of the angels. We're with you. That sounds like a great plan. He lied to himself. He lied to one third of the angels in claiming that he was going to be as highly exalted as God, equal to God, if not better than God. Isaiah 14, 13 through 14. What happened there? That first lie resulted in his expulsion along with one third of the angels, right? Revelation 12, 4. He got booted out of heaven. There's no liars up here, Satan. He's cast down to earth. And shortly after this, he told his second lie in the Garden of Eden. And he told not just his second lie, but the second recorded lie in all history. He told the second lie in the Garden of Eden when he promised Adam and Eve that they would not die if they ate the forbidden fruit. Genesis 3, 4, right? This resulted in what? The spiritual ruin of the entire human race. To this day, the devil continues to lie, continues to deceive people. He blinds the minds and eyes of unbelievers. He even disguises himself as what? An angel of light, which means he takes on the form of a, of a true God-worshiping angel and then works his deceptions. What kind of, do we have a physical illustration of what that might look like? Charlatan preachers in churches who look and sound Christian, but who really after your money. 
promising you things that they can't deliver on, writing checks they cannot cash, deceiving people. That's a perfect example of what Satan does when he dresses himself up in Christian garb and walks around with a Bible and huff the word, right? And then throughout the entire service, it's all about how much money you're going to give that church or whatever other garbage they're peddling. The Jews not only believed the devil's lies about Jesus, because as the father of lies, all lies essentially come from the devil. The Jews not only believed the devil's lies about Jesus, they took ownership of those lies. Hey, that's our truth. And guess what? Then they began to perpetuate those lies throughout the land. Every time they were you know, attacking Jesus and trying to contradict Jesus and trying to undermine Jesus and telling others, don't follow him. He's a deceiver. Don't follow him. What are they doing? They're perpetuating the devil's lies. They became, in a sense, full-time employees of their father's business, the devil, right? They worked to lead others astray. Their actions proved that they had a demonic relationship with the devil, with Satan. Jesus lays it out for him right here. That's your real father. Now let's look at the last thing Jesus said to the Jews in this section. Well, we're really moving. It took me all week to write this. It's taken me 15 minutes to blow through it. You're all, it's okay, we can go to lunch. Now we'll add about 10 more songs. Don't do it. We'll just start talking about money. False teacher, you just talked about it. Number four, a disturbing report. We see this in 45 through 47. Jesus says, but, I, uh, but because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? And he says this in 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Ooh. As children of the father of lies, the devil, the Jews were unable and unwilling to believe Jesus' testimony, his words, the gospel. Now, at this point, it would be very easy to point a critical finger at these guys and say, what a bunch of idiots. Right? It would be. I mean, we look at them, and the way that I preach sometimes make them look really bad. Okay, fine. But, I mean, we would be, like, critical and say, look, these guys are so stupid, they don't even get it. Well, you know, for 30 years, I was just like them. The truth is, if we do not believe the gospel, if we do not believe the testimony of Jesus, we are just like them. We are them. We are children of the devil. We belong to the prince of the power of the air, as it says in Scripture. We belong to the evil one. We are his progeny. We are his children. We are dead in Adam. And guess what? Not only are we the devil's children, we are doing his work. If we do not believe the gospel... We are doing His work. 
And you might be thinking, I'm not doing his work. I, I'm not doing his works. I, I'm not trying to murder anyone. I, I'm not trying to go around telling a whole bunch of lies. You could honestly say that and argue that. And it might be true that you're not going around telling a bunch of lies or you're plotting and planning to kill anyone. Maybe you're not even harboring any anger or hatred towards someone in your heart so you haven't murdered them inside. Could be true. But make no mistake, your rejection of the gospel is the devil's work. He has you. Rejection of the gospel is his primary work. Keeping you in a state of unbelief is his primary task. Well, you don't have to be plotting and planning to murder somebody or hatred or any of that. You just don't believe the gospel. He's your father. You're doing his work. Period. That is his primary work. Unbelief, rejection of Jesus, hatred of Jesus, dislike of Jesus, distorting who Jesus is. All lies come from the father of lies. And if you're his child, you're lying to yourself. You're denying the gospel. And that's not even to bring up the rest of your sin. You got a whole lot just like me. Too many to list. I've sinned so much, there's probably not enough room in this Bible to record all of them. But thank God they all went there. You're lying to yourself, you're doing his work. If you do not believe, you're his. Jesus then asks two questions. Number one, which of you convicts me of sin? The Jews wrongly believed that Jesus was guilty of sin. They thought he was a sinner. Interestingly, they didn't think they were sinners, but they thought Jesus was a sinner. <laughs> Here Jesus basically says, prove it. Prove to me. The best they could do is try to insult him by calling him a Samaritan. Isn't that nice when you call somebody, you're trying to insult them, and you call them a different ethnic group? <sighs> That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Right there, the Lord's calling somebody. <laughs> yes, that's yours. <laughs> Come on, you Samaritan. <laughs> Seriously, what kind of an insult is that? And people know I'm French, and when they get really mad at me, they say, you're French! That's an insult. They, the best they could do, they couldn't come up with a sin. I don't know why my wife's laughing over there. You're Irish! Just got her. Nailed her. The best they could do is say, you're a Samaritan! Or, and they also said down in 48, you have a demon, obviously. Even at his trial, the Jews were unable to convict Jesus of sin. They brought all these witnesses forward at his night trial, and they were all lying and making up stuff about him. And They weren't even able to convict him or nail him down on any sin then. They couldn't get him here when he said, prove it! They couldn't get him at his trial. Why? Because he is without sin. 
He is sinless. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Hebrews 4.15, 1 Peter 2.2. 2. He is without sin. You can't get him on sin because he's not a sinner. The best they could do is call him some other ethnic group. And by the way, they hated the Samaritans. That's why they called him that. Now, theologians refer to this as Christ's impeccability. That's the theological term for what we're looking at here. The fact that they couldn't call him out on sin, his perfection, his holiness, that's Christ's impeccability in theological terms. He has impeccable character. He's perfect, perfectly holy. Now, I'm not exactly sure why Jesus asked them this question. Which of you convicts me of sin? It could be because one of the reasons the Jews refused to believe in him is because they thought he was a sinner. And Jesus wanted to remove this obstacle. I think that's why he asked the question. You won't believe in me because you think I'm a sinner? Prove that I'm a sinner. And they're like, you're Samaritan! Okay, that's not a sinner. I actually know a few Samaritans are pretty nice people. They couldn't get him. It's as if he had said, you won't believe in me as Messiah because you think I'm a sinner. Show me that I have sinned or show me where I have sinned. His second question. Number two, if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? This was his way of saying, since you cannot prove that I have sinned, I am therefore truthful. Why do you continue to disbelieve? You can't get me on it. Why don't you believe in me then? You know I'm perfect. You know that I'm without sin. You know it. You can't prove it. You know it. So why don't you believe? That's what he's saying. And then in verse 47, Jesus gives the reason why they won't believe. Isn't that nice? He answers his own question and simultaneously issues a disturbing report. The Jews do not believe because what? They are not of God. They are not God's children like they thought they were. God's children, those who have been born of God spiritually, right? John 3, 3, born again. What do they do? They believe the gospel. And their faith will be made evident through what? Works or acts of obedience. Back in verse 39, they'll be like Abraham in that way. And what? Love for Jesus, verse 42, right? That's how you know if you're born of God, right? That's how you know if you're God's child, if you've been born again, primarily in the fact that you obey and love Jesus, that you have faith, those things right there. And he just tells them, you're not of God because you don't do any of it. You don't believe me because you're not of God. He's already told them who their father is, has he not? You're just like your father, the devil. MacArthur wrote, and we're getting to the end. See, I always manage to fill the time. Tell a few extra jokes, a couple stories, listen to a motorcycle. MacArthur said this, Jesus demolished the false hope of security that the Jews sought in being Abraham's descendants. I think he's right. He hammered them. And he says, though they claimed to be children of Abraham, Jesus made it clear to them that, spiritually speaking, they were children of the devil. Straight up. And he says, unless they repented, right, turned away from that mode of thinking and, and came to Jesus, right, and believed in him, they were doomed to share the devil's punishment in hell. 
And MacArthur says the same is also true for all who base their hope on anything other than the person and work of Jesus Christ. Amen. Closing. Just a question or so here for you. Who or what are you basing your hope on? Just think about that for a moment. We all fix ourselves on someone or something. We're all drawing hope and a sense of security from someone or something. It's just what we do. It's very natural for us to do that. In fact, in our own fallen human nature, we attach our hope to all of the wrong things. But who are you basing your hope on? Are you basing it on the person and work of Jesus Christ? Are you? Don't be so quick to say yes. Sometimes we, we respond with an immediate yes, but really it's only a theory. We know that's the right thing to do, but then when we analyze our lives, we realize that we have fixed our hope on just about everything around us. Boy, if I lose my job, I'll lose hope. Prime example. Something happened to my spouse. It's just... Honestly, ask yourself. When I really contemplate the question, I, I realize I certainly understand what Christ has done for me. I, I'm certainly believing that, but I do find myself drifting and putting my hope and sense of security, if you want to even call it that, into that which is around me. Just think about it. Is it even possible for us as, as new creations, as Christians, to, to totally and absolutely fix our hope on Jesus only? Maybe. And here's another thing we do. We like to compartmentalize things. We like to say, well, I have my, I have my, I'm hoping in Him for my salvation. I have that part taken care of. But then I've got all these other compartments where I put my hope in my bank account and all these other things. And you see how it works? What Jesus is looking for is holistic hope, that He is our hope in its entirety, that we are not parceling out or compartmentalizing where our hope is. He doesn't want us just to hope in Him spiritually for heaven and then to put another bit of our hope in money or another bit of our hope in others or another bit of our hope in something else. He does not want us to do that. He wants us to be, He wants Himself for us to be our entire hope, not just for heaven. It, it's, a, it's a huge mistake to only think of Jesus in, 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 a, in the context of heaven because He is life now. He is hope now. He is security now. He is our identity now. Eternal life begins in this life, not just when you pass away. Who or what are you basing your hope on? Are you basing it on the person and work of Jesus Christ? You know what Jesus said to this? I'm paraphrasing. He said, the man who believes my words, the gospel, builds his house on solid rock. 
And when the storms of life come and beat against it, it will not fall. The man who does not believe the gospel builds his house on sand. And when the storms of life come and beat against it, it will fall in a mighty crash. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Base all of your hope on Jesus Christ. Not just for your salvation, but all of it. Put your trust in Him alone. He is the solid rock and only sure foundation for life now and for life eternal. Lineage is sand. Religion is sand. Money is sand. Merit is sand. People are sand. If we build on anyone or anything other than Christ, we will eventually fall with a mighty crash. We could even end up in hell. And that would be the ultimate crash, right? And burn, literally. Believe in Him for your salvation. Put your hope in Him for your salvation and for your life now. And for your joy now. And for your security now. Put all of your hope, all of your stock, all of your love on Him. On Him. Repent and believe the gospel today. Amen.